With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On Giddy Up, it's time for the debate. Plenty happening in racing on and off the track. It's a great time of the year from the straight.com.au. Brent O'Brien joins us. G'day, Brent. G'day, Gareth. Nice to be with you. You're heading to Launceston? I am. I'm actually in Launceston at the moment. Oh, been, there you been, go. Been here for the last couple of days and, uh, yeah, big build up ahead of the cup. It was a little bit of a buzz about the town last night, uh, feeling ahead of, uh, yeah, the, one of the highlights of the Tassie racing calendar. I might start off with a controversial statement in just a moment, but um, we'll say hello to you, Mickey Gannon. Yes, good morning, G. Morning, Brent. How are you? I was just looking at social media and um, um, I was watching a, a, a video of the race call, the Phantom race call from Colin McNiff, and I was disappointed in Cole. Usually, like, he delivers the goods. I don't know if he put that much effort in. And uh, Aura Symphony got the cash at 62 kilos. It wasn't even a local. And there was more booze than cheers. <laughs> That's good. Bit, bit harsh for a horse that won the past two races and has become a little bit of a... Uh, an interstate hero down here. We don't mind our imports. Being an import myself, a royal sympathy like me comes from Warnable. Yeah. So there's a there's oh, a, there bit, a bit of a connection there back in the day. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's been a terrific course uh, to be able to come down here and perform so well. And yeah, I mean, to go for three uh, Longing Cups in a row is a great effort. And then you know, I'll be interested to see how it goes today. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it looks logical situation given the, the way that he's dominated the Hobart Cup and the the way that he loves the Lonnie track, which, as we know, can be a little bit tricky. He can't win. You surely. fired him up early, G. He you can't fired win. him up early. He Watch can't out. win, surely, just... with 62 kilos. He beat pretty much all the same horses he beat um, last time around. So, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively confident he gets the job done. But, all right, then. Um, particularly the way that he races. And and I, I just I'll go back to that fact that Launceston track is not all the horses handle it very well. And the fact that he's come down here and won twice before uh, gives me a little bit of confidence. And maybe it's a little bit of the Southwest Victoria coming out of me from my, my background there. Gareth, that I'm, I'm happy to uh, to, to be, be be behind Aurora Symphony. And it should be a really good day. Like, you know, 10 race day. It's a, Lonnie's a real racing town. Yeah. It's a real sort of sense of, uh, you know, occasion about this day. And, um, yeah, hopefully it can sort of live up to the hype. Now, which, while we're on, Tassie, we'll touch on this. Barry Bowditch, the GM of racing, or the GM for Magic Millions, he was quoted saying after the sales there in Tassie, it was a bit tougher than what we expected. Had a chat to Guy Molecaster. We recorded our podcast, The Breeding Bloodstock. And Bannon podcast this morning, I asked Guy the question, what he made of the Tassie sale. And he said, well, Gareth, how can it work? It's just completely in the wrong spot. They've got, and this is like, I can't understand magic millions here. So they make, so the, the, the bloodstock agents and the trainers got to travel to Perth and then travel across to Tasmania when Melbourne's basically about to start. It simply, it gives it like that sale's got no chance there, Brent. 
I think timing-wise, it was difficult this year, but previously it was behind Perth, the other way around, and, and sorry, in front of Perth. It has to be in front of Melbourne, regardless in the calendar, because otherwise the Melbourne trainers won't come down and spend in Tassie. So that's the challenge of where it is. But the challenge is not necessarily position. There's two challenges in Tassie. The lower end of the market is going through a really difficult time. Mm. Uh, there's no tolerance for low quality. So therefore, you're going to struggle to sell horses um, at that lower end. I think it was the lowest amount of horses sold at this sale in 10 years. Um, so if you're not selling horses, you can't make money. That, that's Correct. pretty fundamental. And the other challenge down here is, they, oh my word, do they need a new stallion? It's the yeah. same old horses coming back year after year after year. The catalogue wasn't strong in that regard. It wasn't strong on paper. There were some nice horses there that were sort of found. The clearance rate sort of battled its way to 70%. It was a one of those sales. Probably the, the yielding sale, I've been going to a lot of yielding sales over the last five or six years, probably the one yielding sale where it was a rude shock going as far as it went backwards. And there's a million dollars less spent on Tassie blood stock mm. than there were last year. And that'll hurt the, the, the local breeders going forward. So basically they're going to help themselves. You're telling us that the, the Tassie breed is like a playing God. You see what he's been able to do for WA racing. Yeah. That's precisely actually the conversation I had with Tim Brown and Magic Millions the other day. And he said, what playing God's done for Perth is remarkable. Yeah. We saw last week when a, you know, $650,000, $675,000 horse went through over there in Perth in, in Tassie needs further has done a really great job, but beyond him, there's not a lot of quality. And there's probably, you know, there's probably one, uh, pretty good stallion and the rest of, of there's too many sort of other below the, the, the uh, yeah, below the level stallions. And I think the other yep. challenge is probably just there's not enough quality of horses. Maybe this catalog needs to be smaller next year. Um, we saw the debut of Lavendi this year at the sale. They just weren't, they just didn't get any traction whatsoever. There's okay. a lot of them that sort of struggled to get bids. Nothing personal against that horse. It's just commercially, he just doesn't sort of fit the profile of, you know, a Victorian bond. Yeah. By coming down, and the Victorian buyers spent nine hundred thousand dollars less than they did last year, and that's a a bit of all the, the mainland buyers. Sorry, spent nine hundred thousand less than they did last year, and that's a significant sort of kick in the guts. And as you said, if you can't get the buyers to it, I walked around the sale yards on Sunday, Gareth, and I didn't see barely saw one parade going on. I've never seen that at a yielding sale. Mm. Um, it was always going to be a tough day for the for for the Tassie vendors. They did with the best they got out of it, um, but there's a lot of reflection going forward about what this means for next year. And I guess it put forward a couple of questions about the where the market's at. And we're really interested to see what happened to the premier sale and what Sebastian has, has to say to you later on, because the Victoria market's an interesting space at the moment too. Yeah, it's tough. I've spent a bit of time at the sales recently looking for horses myself, G, and working with some people. It's tough to sell them at the moment, um, especially those mid-range horses. I think uh, we had a good chat with Reese Gugger and he picked one up. We encouraged him to pick one up, G, and I think he's still got a substantial amount of, of that horse left uh, from the Riverside sale. And, I just don't think they're selling as easily. So that therefore means that there's less people out there buying horses. Gee. Yep. So it'd be interesting to see how the premiers are. I think they s still exceeded expectations at the classic sale in Sydney and Melbourne seems sure. to be getting stronger. Like Yulong will play a major part. I'm interested with what Yulong will do because it, like Yulong have been, and they, have, they haven't spent as much as they have in previous years. And Vin Cox might be changing their direction just a little bit. Maybe they've got too many horses, but Bren, when they've been the leading buyer for so many, at so many sales of recent times, um, but this time they got to, they, they flip, they flip the roll around in a way they're selling about 70 odd horses. So they can't buy their own horses. So that will be interesting to see what that does to the market. Yeah, no, 77 horses for Neil Long. And I think that's probably the story of the sale is now they've sort of, you know, we've known them all as a, as a buyer, particularly in the broodbear market over the last few years. Um, they're building up their vending presence, but now this is sort of where the rubber hits the yeah. road in terms of the volume of horses that they've got. And, and and I think it'll only go higher, I think, you know, because of the amount of horses that they've got and the amount of horses they take to market. What that does to the market, 
and what that does to the other vendors and their willingness to take their their horses to that sale will be really interesting and something that English will have to balance out over the coming years with the Melbourne sale. So, you know, it'll be really fascinating to see how they go. Some very nice horses there. They've got a lot of horses going to Easter as well. Yeah, some really lovely yep. horses. So, yeah. All right, then I want to touch on, before we have a uh, chat about the politics, it's a very interesting day in Victoria today with Troll basically taking on the Victorian board, the Racing Victoria board um, and the administration. So that'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. Obviously, New South Wales as well has got a new chairperson. So we'll discuss that a little later on in our Wednesday debate and what we make of that. But I want to start with the All-Star Mile. Uh, did they get it wrong with the All-Star Mile regarding the voting process? And obviously, they're going through to the wild cards and also they've also no, um, they've, they've worked in partnership with race clubs and also different jurisdictions regarding races to help you qualify for an all-star mile. Um, and I'm all for trying new things, but I don't think, unfortunately, they might have to go back to the to the drawing board and, and work out a new plan because it hasn't worked, Brent. I'll start with you. Because if you can't yeah, get a if you can't get worked. a fangirl oh. here for a, a five million dollar race to take on Mr. Brightside, then there's something that you need to change. I'll I'll get Mick to comment on the quality of the field this year a bit further and and sort of what he yeah what he thinks about it. But I think yeah from a, an overall broader value, like the idea was that it was capture imagination of the public and, and and really sort of get people involved and this fan vote thing and obviously which is which has sort of moved away from that. Look look, it has lost a lot of momentum. It lost a lot of momentum last year and I think the momentum has continued this year. Uh, it's really hard to get traction of a sporting event in Melbourne in February March. Like it's a really tough time of year. People say, oh, it's a bit of a gap before footy, but Look at the back pages of the paper. There's eight pages of footy. Like, it's really hard to get traction regardless of whether the concept's a good concept or not. We can debate about whether it's a good concept or not. I don't know if that timing... And I think the challenge is, because the placement of the All-Star Mile, it sort of has stretched out the... You know, the Australian Cup's moved later and it sort of changed the, the, the format of the candle. I think that... Yeah, Racing Victoria will be sitting down having a really good hard look at this race and the value that it creates because it's debatable this year with the field that it's got. We'll see what happens on the day. Yeah. It might turn out to be a great story. Who knows? But I think that it's definitely lost a lot of momentum. Yeah, the quality of the field's the big concern here for the amount of prize money that, that's turning up on the day, G. That's that's your biggest worry. And, you know, I, I love the concept last year. I loved all the stables and getting behind it and telling their story and and sort of getting around it. And they've lost that this year. And I couldn't tell you, other than uh, Mr. Brightside and Pride of Jenny, of the other horses going to the race. Yes, I live in Sydney, but I bet in Melbourne Racing, I have no idea. Do you are you aware of the horses going to the race at the moment? Well, Dom to shoot one of Northerly defeating Zaki. He's got a, an invitation. Pericles, you know yep. Pericles, don't you? He's got a he's got a wild card as well. No, but my my point my point is yep. I'm not actually aware of the horses going to the race, so it hasn't been. Well, we don't know but, really. I like yeah. The, the, the voting. We're in the lead up. Previously, we were aware of a list. Well, we saw a list. We saw votes. We had an idea yeah. of where things well, were going. We were able to get behind the race yeah. in the lead up. That's why they changed it because. They, they were getting people to vote. And for instance, people would be voting for Fangirl thinking that she'd be going there or that it was a chance because Chris Waller had to nominate her in case there's something went amiss in Sydney mm. and he missed a week. So he could have the all-star mile as an option. But, um, so that's why they changed the voting system because people were voting on horses that weren't they're like a 5% chance of competing in a race like an all-star mile. But in recent times, the all-star mile has been the best the best rated race and the best race during a Melbourne autumn. Um, yep. But this year it won't be the case. So 
you know do you know what they get right with the Everest G amongst plenty of things, but yeah. one of the one of the best points is you know the horses that are going to the race. So therefore the long run in and the comparisons of of um this horse versus that horse and the preparations, their eyes are on all those lead up runs because we're aware of the horses going. If they can find a way to get that locked mm. in, I think the race is going to be far more successful. I don't know what they need uh, to do there, Brent. Do you reckon this is my idea, right? And I don't know if it'll work or not, but your prize money is important. People say if you take if you if you're going to cut back the prize money, then you might as well not have the race because no one's going to come really. If you make it a million dollars, they'll all go to Sydney and concentrate on those races. So you need to make sure that the prize money keeps around that five million dollar quote. Um, and I know that Jonathan Munns, etc., that's what they've been critical of an all star mole. So when they go to challenge the board today, I would imagine the all star mole will be at the front of conversation. But do we need to go to an invitation race in a way or something? Like get the get the get the punters to pick out six like have a six horse race for an all star mile. Like the six best milers in the country to do battle. I don't know what does that do for turnover, I guess, is probably the question they're probably asking and, and the six horse race, but it does create interest. I think if you look at what the initial concept was around a lot of these the, the Japanese races that have a similar sort of you know feel and way about yeah. them, but those races from and, and and I'll be happy to be corrected here, they tend to be um uh, towards the end of either yeah. of the seasons, like the like, the, like which which is sort of like a build up towards them. So the horses win different races and they come on the radar. So rather than being at a start of an autumn where you're like trying to identify horses that are coming back and that are all different stages of our campaign, you just identify horses all the way through. And I'm not saying you hold the All Star Mile in Melbourne in June. I'm not saying that, but that's why those races work. And so the challenge they've got is you've got all these horses coming back. There's so much unknown at the moment. So where do you know where the horse is going to go? They come back to have the bad trial. They come back a bit dour. They come back and they go, well, maybe they're more of a sprinter than a miler. Like, you know, the, the idea of these mile races and how they work is that you get the sprinters that are willing to go, oh, look, we'll test them out. They've won a couple of good races over 1,200, 1,400. We'll step up to 1,600. We might have a horse that won over 2,000 that comes back to the 1,600. I think the mile race is a good concept, but I think the timing is always going to make it very difficult. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for everybody involved. And I think this is just the perfect example. And so if you're Peter Volandis, this is why Peter Volandis wants to get into the spring market because the spring is where everybody makes their money in racing. You can have the greatest races. And I think they even struggle sometimes from like their turnover is no comparison in Sydney for their championship meeting compared to the spring. And we see it in Melbourne as well, as you pointed out, Brent, it is difficult to get people in like people are excited about the racing, but it's not as popular as it is in the spring because football season's about to start and everybody can't wait for the footy season to start. So I'm not having a crack at RV here. I'm just saying it hasn't worked and I, and I'm all for them having a crack and, and I, I applaud them for changing it last, last year because it didn't work, but they'll need to change it again. They need to think about it, a new way to go about it because this year it hasn't just, it's not worth it. Like it's not worth the $5 million that these horses will be running for come the middle part of March there for the All-Star Mile. I like where the Australian Cup is. I think that'll be a good race, but once again, it's just difficult to have the best horses and the best jockeys and the best trainers competing against each other when both these carnivals seem to be coming together in a way and we see it with the Australian Derby um you got an Aussie Derby and you've got Riff Rocket in, in one state and Militarise in the other state you'd love to see these three-year-olds do clash and do battle 
um, as they head and take on each other. 8.20, this is Giddy Ups Wednesday Debate. We'll take a break. We'll come back and have a chat about some of the politics that are making news in racing straight after this. This is Giddy Up. Thanks to Bet365. Jesusstraight.com.au is doing wonderful things. It's the talk of the racing industry led by Breno Bryan. He's joining us here as he always does on a Wednesday. And Mickey Gaddon as well. Um, interesting tweet coming through from Greg says, what happens if nominations time, they don't have 16 horses accepted for the all-star mile. Will there be an actual nominations to make up the field there, Brent? Not too sure how that'll work out. I think some, something Razzie Victoria would have war gamed, I suppose, and worked out where things are. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is a genuine challenge about what, what, what the quality of the field. I think they'll get the quantity, but I think the quality is probably going to be the challenge for them. Yeah. Um, a few more text messages coming through regarding that. Boys, do you think having a horse like Mr. Brightside has hurt the All-Star Mile? He may have scared some horses away knowing they can't beat him. I don't know about that, Mickey, because he's been really good, Mr. Brightside, throughout his career, but he's not setting the world alight with his rating. Um, he's getting the job done. He's consistent just over the 100 rating mark. But um, like Fangirl's not coming because there's too much, too much on offer in Sydney, unfortunately. Yeah, Fangirl's definitely not scared of Mr. Brightside, G. Uh, no. They're probably the two class milers in, in the country. So, uh, look, they're racing for, I think it's the whole point of the prize money, that you are happy to go there and run second because you're going to, or third or fourth, you're going to get a really good check. So, I don't think that anyone's necessarily scared as such, G. Yeah, 0499-736-736. Um, host of text messages coming through. Hi, gents. Great discussion with the All-Star Mile. You bre briefly mentioned Riff Rocket. I expect he'll win the Australian Guineas and go to the All-Star Mile and could well provide worthy opposition to Mr. Brightside. I don't see Riff Rocket going to staying distances this campaign. Reef Fangirl, I think they have the right idea tackling Mr. Brightside over 2,000 metres in the Queen Elizabeth rather than the Mile where he still may have the wood on her. That's from Todd. I don't know. I think she's better over the mile on a firm track. She'll be beating Mr. Brightside. Um, it doesn't matter where they compete. What I saw there in Sydney the other day, the, the three-year-olds have always had a good record in this race. Mickey Gannon. We saw Superstorm do it for Bob Peters, finishing second to the stable mate in Regal Power that year. And they seem to, they go pretty well in, in, in an all-star mile. The three-year-olds. Yeah, the Riff Rocket could be hard too, to beat. G. Yeah, my only concern is Riff Rocket will be what, third up and this will be a second go at the mile consecutively. And for, for a staying type, it's just not a you know a great profile. So would it be third up into the All-Star Mile? Is that is that the assumption, Jim? Yeah, it would be straight after the All-Star Mile. Yeah, straight after the, the Guineas. Guineas, then All-Star Mile. Yeah, look, Chris, Chris Waller's, you know, best trainer in the country. So you, you can't doubt his credentials in getting his horse there. But my only concern would be, yeah, third up at the mile, easy looking for a bit further. Bren, let's have a chat about the slot races. I want to have a bit more time um, talking about Troa's challenge to RV today. So we'll do that after the news. But that, that um, we had the auction for the New Zealand NZB slot race called the, the Kiwi and it exceeded expectations. Now, the reserve was 450000 They all went above $600,000. I've seen it all over the country. You've seen it in and across the three codes. Took harness racing too long to get their act together, but the Eureka was a success. The Phoenix will be the biggest race in Greyhound racing in two or three years' time. The Everest is the biggest race in Sydney, the, the, arguably the second biggest race in the country right now. And I've got no doubt the Kiwi ever know that it'll be for three-year-olds um, and New Zealand bread gallopers, eligible only. El eligible for that race will be New Zealand bread gallopers only. But it looks like it might be the biggest race in New Zealand with the publicity that it will get There's because no of the prize money. 
there's a real fight. Yeah, yeah, there's a real fight around New Zealand racing at the moment. And last night when I had this auction, I think it was $6.25 million, which will basically be a slush fund, which they'll use to market the race going forward now. Um, it's been a, it was a really good innovation in the way they did this sort of nine slots that they they auctioned, sort of created a real buzz around it. And we had all the big players in the New Zealand industry um, involved, you know, your Tiakos, Tiakos Cambridge Studs, um, all those types of people. We also had Aussie Key buying a slot. Uh, we had John Chu, Singapore businessman who's involved in Australia as well as in New Zealand um, involved as well. So there's a real buzz around that. And I think that creates a bit of momentum in this 1500 metre three-year-old race to be run March next year. Um, it'll be a fascinating race and there'll be some very like key horses set for it that we're going to see make an impact in Australia as well. So yeah, it was great. Good buzz. And it was interesting to look at the slot holders that purchased it. There was Aussie Kerr that represents the only really Australian representative. Entain purchased a, a slot, but they're the New Zealand tab these days. And good to see like a trainer like Andrew Forsman understanding this is a business decision to help promote his stable. Obviously would have had some investors, I would imagine, help him. But he purchased a slot as well. Um, Cambridge starred Tiako Racing. So the obvious also will take part in that race. My only, like, I think it's a great idea, but if you're putting in the money for the auction and they're spending what 600 or thousand, I know that there needs to be money put aside to market the race, but that should go back into the prize pool. I would like, I, I don't, I couldn't quite understand that. Uh, Mick, you can go with that. I, I, no, I think, Ben, I'm that's just, you, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think, uh, look, I, I'm not going to like, which these slot races are, uh, in, yeah, they're, they're innovation. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think there is a little bit of sort of figuring out things as they go along. I'm not going to doubt what, how they've worked this one out because I think they they might have got the format right yeah. and there was such an enthusiasm for it. I think it's the right. I think it's the right move. I'd be interested to see what comes up. And it, yeah. Um. But yeah. I, I, the way it started out has been very positive, Gareth. So I can't see any negative. No, I'm not trying to be um, Debbie Downer. So I think they've done a great job, New Zealand. I'm looking forward to it. We've got a horse that will be winning that race anyway. Giddy up, warrior. When it starts, it'll be a three-year-old ready to run horse that we purchased last year. So God bless it. Um, I think the Quokka was the biggest turnover race in the history of WA racing by 40% in the history. So bigger than any of the, the Kingston towns and the railways and the winter bottoms over the years. So that just says something for innovation and what these slot races are doing. Um, it was interesting talking to James McDonald. Now, it's like Mac is coming from a selfish point of view in a way. He says, like, why is it on the same day as the all-age stakes? Which was interesting, Mickey Gannon. I, I would say... Like, I, I thought about I agree with Macca when he first said it. But then, like, if you moved it away from the All-Age Stakes, it was on the same day as the All-Age Stakes last year because James Cummings stayed in Sydney and didn't come to, to, to Perth because we had Kamantari as SEN. We, we teamed up with Cadolphin. But would turnover decrease if it wasn't on a big day like an All-Age Stakes day? Does All-Age, the All-Age Stakes, they help the quacker in a way there, Mickey Gannon. It's an interesting debate. Yeah, it can for sure, but there's so many variables in regards to that 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 turnover, especially that time of the day. If if you have seen six or seven favourites lob throughout the day, then I'm sure that the WA turnover would be significantly higher. But if if all the roughies got up in the last six races, then it, it could be down. So to J Max point, having the best jockeys and best participants is probably going to be your best risk yeah. uh, mitigation in regards to keeping turnover high. So I would be all for getting the best participants there, um, and, and then hoping that you get the favourites lob in Sydney and Melbourne in the afternoon and the turnover will be very, very high for a quokka. I agree. I, I, like, like I think that the New Zealand Karaka race meeting proved that if you can get the best jockeys there competing, like a 
James McDonald and a Mark Sarr and the like, turnover will increase, Brent. It's as simple as that. It's like if you go and watch your favourite footy team, people will pay more to go and watch the best players. It's just—it's not just turnover, G. It's also about eyes on the game from from you know creating new fans of the game to go and watch J to go and watch these stars from from the eastern seaboard to get there. Like turnover, sure, is is very very important. But to get new participants into the game, we yeah. need those stars over in WA as well. Let's sorry, take, Brent. Yeah, sorry, Brent. Your comment there. Actually, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think I think I think we need that carry over. That's really Correct. important. And then it's not just about. The, the, the top line number. And people in WA that think, well, you can't, like if, like you, you got to run your own race. Well, you got to do that, but you got to be, you can't just think, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to do it our way. And it's the only way. And we're going to run our race when we want to race. You got to think outside the square. Like if you're going to put on a race like the Quokka, well, your aim should be to get like your KPI, the number one KPI should be get the best possible trainers best possible horses and the best possible jockeys to our meeting and work out a plan how we do that and putting yep, it a week you know, back. Like I said, you know, WA but better than most, Gareth, but I, I, the only thing I'll say is that they run their own race over there regardless and, and it seems to work well for them. So I, I don't know about WA's that. The one I reckon they've stuffed up a lot over the years and they can run it a lot better, Bren. Um, yeah, that's just my humble. Um, yeah, I think they, like, I think it could be run a lot better to tell you the truth. 8.35, let's take a break. And we'll come back. In fact, we'll take the news and then um, we'll have a chat about what's happening with Troa and its challenge to the RV board, which will be happening later this morning. Gareth Hall with you. Bruno Bryan from thestraight.com.au and the great tip-offs, very own Mickey Gannon. The big big day in um, Victoria today with Troa, led by billionaire owner Jonathan Munns, taking on... RV's board and the administration, basically, they're not happy with the way that they run the sport. It was interesting to see a tweet from Nick Williams. He backpedaled pretty quickly. I don't know if he was on the phone to Jonathan Munns after he put out his first tweet, and then he was told of the circumstances and what Troy was all about. Didn't realise he was a member at the other at the end of the day. Bram was it was it was an interesting read. I wonder who rang him after that tweet, but. Um, it'll be on today. I think we know who rang him. Yes, yes. It'll be on today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting... I mean, it's, it's, explain what's the, going to happen. Explain what's yeah. going to happen this morning. I'll try to explain without sending everybody to sleep yeah. because board procedures aren't exactly the most exciting things in the world. Pretty much there's five members of the Racing Victoria board whose uh, future on the board will be elected uh, on upon today, voted on upon today. Uh, Troa, as a as a uh, member, shareholder, stakeholder of Racing Victoria, gets right to call this meeting a special general meeting which it's done it's given two months notice they've, they've set the meeting blah 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 so they get to call the meeting what has to happen is on, on each of those five members and it's important to remember it's it's like five votes so it's like five individual votes so one vote okay member one member two member three member four and they go through vote by vote to, to how they decide how to do it but there has to be a two-thirds majority of the votes um to for the motion to carry so therefore to get rid of the board members there has to be 24 of the 35 votes available why are there 35 votes available? Go to thestraight.com.au and explains all the, all the mathematics of it. Uh, but pretty much every share, share stakeholder has a different sort of weighting. Country Racing Victoria have got 10 votes. The, the, the City Racing Clubs have got five votes, all that sort of stuff. So so logistics are basically they sit down, they vote through those things. Um, either, you know, they all could be passed. They all could be defeated. They all could, some could be and some couldn't be. So everything's on the table at this stage, but it will progress I guess this discussion we've been having for the last six months about the uh, 
unhappiness in Victoria, rising, Victorian racing and racing Victoria in general to the next sort of stage. My mail is, Bren, that doing the numbers is that I don't think Troy have the numbers. Like, depending if the clubs change their mind, um, I think a few of the clubs are upset with racing Victoria, but whether they will have, whether they will vote against racing Victoria and the board, time will tell. And I think they kept their, their cards close to their chest. Um, I know country racing Victoria and supportive of racing Victoria. And that's a big problem for trial because as you point out, they hold the most votes. So that's why I find it difficult for, for Jonathan Munns and trial to, to get what they want really. Mainly because of, yeah. 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 And Um, there was debate about the constitution to, as well, is it 50% or is it a little bit higher than that? In terms of no, it's sixty. It's 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 two thirds. Oh, two thirds. So, so it's, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, 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 so I had you to mention that. Yeah. yeah, so it's twenty four. Twenty four out of the thirty five votes need to need to carry through. So, um, I clarified that with racing Victoria yesterday. It's it's complicated, and I wasn't expected to do as much maths in this job as I have. But um, anyway, so so I think what is interesting it'll it'll set the agenda of whether I think the clubs the the metro clubs are key, as you've pointed out. If the metro clubs want change, yeah, they'll join Troa. They'll get the change. There is a possibility that we might see one or two. Members voted off and three or four retained. Sorry, yeah, yeah, and that that may change things. We've got a situation where Mike Hurst resigned from the board last week with a view to departing on on May thirty one. Yet, because of the nature of the constitution, the way things work, they still vote on his position despite the fact he won't be there after May thirty first. So it's all very confusing. And I guess the other thing is to clarify this for everyone, Gareth. No one will be appointed as part of this process today. No, we won't see suddenly a new board with all new members in it. Gillan McLaughlin won't walk out of this meeting as chairman of Racing Victoria. That's not what this meeting's about. This meeting's about debating the five, the future of the five directors, the board directors that have been put forward um, and, and, and working out from there. Nothing else aside from that will happen. The future of uh, the Racing Victoria executive won't be determined. It'll help shape those discussions going forward. But if we're expecting this to be a sort of you know, watershed moment where we know what's going forward, we'll probably know less after this meeting than we know before it. No, it's, yeah, if the board does get shaken up today, you would imagine that Andrew Jones's job is in a little bit of trouble. But if the, the board survived, then Andrew Jones is safe. It's as simple as that, I would imagine. Um, so it's, that's been... Who knows, it. racing politics, Gareth? Who knows? How yeah, who knows? Hey, um, yeah, Mickey, do you have anything to add there? It's a little bit, that's what's going to happen today. And I just hope that everybody... It just can, gets more confusing, Jay. Yeah, I just is, I hope uh... everyone can come together. I know it's going to be difficult for everybody to come together, but... Um, for the betterment of the game. And I think there's some important decisions. You need the right people in charge. And um, there's people smarter than me that, that make these decisions. But yeah, it, with the challenges with the wagering dollar, especially that you need to be making the right moves and not the right moves. Because if you make the right, the wrong moves at this time of, of racing, racing, um, the racing life and the history of the game, then we could be in a little bit of trouble. 10 to 15. I think there's three keys. Time. Yeah. Gee, you need a good relationship with your government. You you need to galvanize the people around you and empower them to, to make right decisions. You need to be able to take risks. Um, uh, who knows who can do that and who's going to come together and do that for Racing Victoria or Victorian Racing in general moving forward, but they are being left behind. That's why we need, like, Gil McLaughlin will be great if he does become sure. chair because he'll have a good relationship with the Labor government, who's the, the current government in charge of Victoria. And as you pointed out, it's the most important part of any administration in racing. They're only as good as their government. If the government doesn't want to support the game, that they can't do much. Um, we've got a new appointed chair in New South Wales, which is interesting, um, Brent. Who is it and what does it yeah, mean? I mean this, 
yeah, Saran Cook, Dr. Saran Cook has, has been appointed as the Racing New South yeah. Wales chairman. We also we saw all this sort of stuff blow up in December. It's amazing how these two processes, Russell Victoria and Racing New South Wales, run in parallel. Certainly gives us plenty to write about on the straight. But um, we saw when Russell Balding uh, departed quite uh, spectacularly, I suppose, with what happened with the government approval process and everything that went on there. And um, yeah, and it's been a process that's been ongoing since since then. Some we've you know, been a bit of scrutiny around that process. But Saran Cook is already on the board. Who was the deputy chair under Balding is now the chairman of Racing New South Wales. And Kevin Green, who's been on the board before and was a former racing minister, comes onto the board. So that's yep. the sort of wash up from that situation. I think there's a watch this space. There's a more to come on this. There'll be a few people wanting to have a bit of a say about that process and the way it worked out. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, that's the news at the moment. As I was this morning, Saran Cook is now the Dr. Saran Cook is now the chairperson of Racing Just as well as the first female chairperson yes. of that body. Well done, Doc. Good luck with it all. Um, we wish you the best <laughs> of luck there running racing New South Wales. It's nine minutes to nine o'clock. Don't go anywhere. I pose you this question as a racing fan. So as a racing fan, would you prefer Imperatrice to have a crack at the top of the weights and win a new market down that famous straight at Flemington? Or would you prefer to jump on that a truck and head up that Hume Highway and take on Think About It? And they're the two best sprinters in the land at the moment, over 1,300 metres. Think About It will be first up. She'll be second up. As a racing fan, which would you prefer? Let us know. 0499-736-736. Welcome back to Giddy Up. Love Joe Pride. He's... Well, if you want to say that you're best in the in the world, and Peritrees come to Sydney and take me on, with think about it um, in that 1300 meter race on the same day as the new market. I don't know from a racing fan. I think it would be great to see what she could do with top weight in a new market. But I think I don't know. I love to see the best take on the best, and I would love to see them clash in Sydney. There, Mickey Gannon. That would be my preference. Yeah, PBL's over there for the. Um for the rugby league, but he'll be he'd be uh, more than happy to to fly straight back over and watch a clash of imperatories and and uh, and think think about it because that is that is going to be the clash of the year. G that yep. one, uh, fangirl or Mister Brightside might be pretty good, but that's this is the one we want to see, Bren. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the typical sprinters in the land we haven't seen them head to head, so not in that way anyway. So I think it'd be great. It'd be good to be, good to be able to see them together. And I think, um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's. Uh, I think the new market's a great race. It'd be great to see that race have another great winner. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what they do there with Imperatrice. There's there's the option of the challenge stakes, but I don't think they'll go to the thousand meters. I think they'll go either to the thirteen hundred meters or the the twelve hundred meters of the the new market handicap. But um, she was pretty good there the other day, and think about it, it looks like he's come back enormous as a racing fan. I think if you want to see the best horses race as much as they can, although you can. Also want to see the most competitive races, putting the best horses head to head. Um, same goes with Fangirl and Mr. Brightside. So that's an it. So what's the best clash match race in racing at the moment? Is it is it think about it in Paratree's Brightside or Fangirl? Um, is it Switzerland well, we've, we've, and Storm? We've already Boy? seen we've already seen Fangirl and Brightside, so I'd say think about it in Paratree's would be it. Yeah. What do you reckon, yeah, Brett? I'm with you on that one. All yeah, right, absolutely man. with you on that one. Hey. They're the ones we want to see. We want to see the faster horses go against each other. Um, yeah, and, and the two horses who... And know, it, it, horses it'll be a test. Caps the headlines for reasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you got Imperatrice third up, 1,300 metres. That's a pretty good setup for her. And you got to think about it first up. So, so she should be a second it, up, won't she, Imperatrice? Not third. Um, yeah, second. She was first up in the second. lightning. Yep, second up. My, my apologies. Um, 
We're quickly approaching nine o'clock. I had a question for you, Brent. It might take a little longer than a minute. Can you stay for a couple of minutes? I'll try my best. All right, then yeah, I've got this. I want to ask this Ben Yell situation. We've got a host of text oh, messages God. coming through. <laughs> no, <laughs> got um, out. <laughs> because it's an interesting run with the Ray Murray situation. So um, he's allowed to race again, Ben Yell, in Tasmania and other parts of the state as well. My my text message line's been um, there's a few about asking about the Ben Yell situation. So I'll I'll have a chat to Brent about that. I've also got an opinion on it as well. It's a difficult one for Tassie Racing regarding that situation. Um, Mickey Gannon, you can say goodbye. Oh, we've got to get your top three. I'm only joking. I'm only yeah, joking. let's let's go. Uh, fangirl, Mr. Brightside, and uh, think about it. Oh, I love it. Make sure you put that. So you didn't take him out of context there, Jacko? There's his three. It was on record. Wednesday to Bay text messages coming through regarding the situation with Ben Yell being allowed to race horses on Saturday in Hobart after all the animal welfare concerns in the Murray report. It's a difficult one, Brent, isn't it? Because Ray Murray, it was an interesting report that he handed down. and But unfortunately, it's just his opinion. It's his report in the court of law. It doesn't really stand up because um, it was Ray Murray's independent report. So that's why Ben Yell's been given permission to 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 go on race on Saturday and he's been the ban of standing him down or warning him off um, at racetracks being lifted. I don't think Tassie Racing can do anything about it, but it's just a sad situation in Tassie Racing at the moment. I think just sort of give, give a bit broader context. I think uh, Taz Racing were the one that warned him off because they were they felt like they needed to, to act with this because it was sort of becoming such a, an ongoing pressing issue in the, the wake of the release of the yeah. Mowahi report. The Integrity Department or the, uh, the Office of Racing Integrity is so dysfunctional as it's being disbanded by the, by the state government. There is no legislation put in place currently to change the integrity. The idea is to bring integrity alongside of TAS Racing uh, and then everyone can sort of work together. We've got a state election in Tassie at the moment, so that's not a priority. Nobody's voting on anything at the moment to fix that up. It's a, it's a complete like debacle and a political failure. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not TAS Racing's, TAS Racing's fault because TAS Racing have done what they thought was the right thing but the old suspension or, or warning off has been overturned on what's called procedural fairness, the fact that he wasn't afforded procedural fairness around it. So I know Taz Racing are looking to other options uh, in terms of what they can do, but they're not the integrity body. The integrity body that is there, or that was supposed to be there, is is basically being disbanded uh, and has you know has a long series of issues issues associated with it. It's a, it's a really a sore spot in Tassie Racing. It's taking a lot of energy from Taz Racing's point of view. It's their feature time year for their thoroughbred code. They've got a feature harness race coming up, and you've got a guy who's um, who's been warned off now, brought back into into the racing fold again. And there's a lot of other participants who are very nervous and unhappy about this. And it proved so it's a really yeah. bad situation. And it proved that Fields stood up when he wasn't there because it gave confidence to other industry participants. Now I'm all for Ben Yol doing what he needed to do, and he 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 found a loophole in a way that he thought that he could make money. And buying all of those lower graded horses to compete and and flooding the fields, um, but Ben he's got to take responsibility for his own actions. Now he might say, "Gareth, I'm innocent," and this is crap that Ray Mara he is the, the report that's handed down. But then you got to take like I don't know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like you got to take responsibility for your own actions. And I think this is just my personal opinion. What I saw from Ben Yol's stable in Victoria was a disgrace on, on certain occasions. And he had one man that was leading the way that 
didn't represent him as well as I would imagine Ben Yol would want to be re- represent like if I would, like if anyone wanted to be represented. So you make your own bed, Brent, and you got to live by like you make your own bed and you got to make sure that, you know, um, it's a privileged position to be a trainer in, in any code. Um, but you got to follow the rules. I think, well, I think like you're right about Yoel made the most of the system in, in Tasmania in particular, the class system. and was able to sort of work that effective game in the system. That's, that's his, that is a systemic failure. That's been 10 years, 20 years in the offing in Tasmania, which hasn't been addressed or fixed by successive governments who are, who are unable to get their heads around this and make, make this change. So regardless of the personalities around Ben Yoel, this just needs to be fixed. This just needs to be sorted out. Integrity, you cannot have a racing industry without a property integrity arm. And that is not currently the case. Um, and until we get through the Tassie election, which is not until I think the 23rd of March, and, and then we've got to go through a new political cycle where we've got 10 new members of parliament being elected into Tassie. It's a lot, whole level of political complication in that regard. This may not get dealt with to the end of October. Uh, yeah, end of the year, sorry, October, November. And it's it's just it's just far too long. Yeah. You know, the Monteith report recommended this change two and a half years ago. Nothing has been done. And I think it's a real, it's, it's, it, this is where this black eye has come from. It's where the issues have come from in the greyhound industry and where some of the issues have come in the thoroughbred industry. And when you've got the three codes and you've got such an issue with integrity, it, it's, it, it questions, it puts the question, yeah, it questions the future of prosperity of Tassie racing. And it's a disgrace really when Andrew, like you feel for Andrew Jenkins, who who's the, the boss of Tassie racing and he's got to put out fires that he can't control. It's sort of like he's trying to put out fires, but he's not the chief commissioner of the fire brigade in a way. So he can't direct and make decisions to fix the problem. He can't burn off when he needs to burn off. And it's bad for his game and it upsets industry participants. And what you get out of all of that is that you've got a government or people fighting in politics that don't understand the racing game and they put people in places that don't understand how to police the racing game. And it's a different game to complete than say, you can't just get a former police person or a detective to do a racing game. And we've seen it in so many different States, Queensland, the debacle in New Zealand with the harness racing situation there that scared off the best ever participant that they've ever had in Dexter Dunn who's now the world's best driver, but they, they shipped him out of the country because they didn't know what they were doing and they wanted to, they wanted to make sure that they, and what happens with all of this is that they spend a lot of money by investing into these organizations like the the situation in New Zealand and then Queensland, and they need to see results. And because they don't know what they're doing, then they make up results and they get it all wrong and they put the sport back and it's not good enough. And, um, and, this could be complete the incompetence of the integrity in team in Tasmania. It, it makes it, I think it's unfair on Ben Yol at the moment. And I think it's unfair on the industry participants, if you know what I mean, because no one knows what they're like doing and no one can stop the rot. If you know what I mean, Brent. It's a, it's, it's, it's a complete political failure. Yep. And, anyway. um, and, and regardless of this, the situation involving Ben Yol and everything else, whatever situation this was, this was always going to, something like this was going to, going to, blow the system up and that's what it's done. And it makes and it, it, yeah, Ray, poor Ray Murray does a report and he's got no power. He's doing, he's doing a report knowing this probably going to get thrown but, out. But if the response is the they're going to do another report. What, what, what? That's a response. The response from the government is like, yeah, we've seen the report and we're not happy about it. We're going to get a few more people to investigate it. It's like, what? I'm sorry, it's not good enough. Like either act or don't act. Either give the, the Murray report, the, the imprimatur it does to actually make the change or don't bother 
conducting the report in the first place because he sat around for 12 months on a hand. And wait, you wait for the next thing to blow up. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who would be happy to, who are quite happy to see the racing industry in such turmoil and will make political gains out of it. That's their prerogative. That's fine. But geez, they make it easier for them, Gareth. Yeah, they do actually. And it's so frustrating to see. Anyway, it's a sad situation. Hopefully, hopefully common sense and putting egos aside and what they're, what they're standing for politically that they can actually come together and go, okay, this is not working. It's not that hard to fix and you're just making it worse. It's an utter disgrace and people are paying and people, people livelihoods are being compromised because of people's incompetence and it's not fair. So and, hopefully and why, would you, why, why would people bet on it? Like, like that's what's going to drive the prosperity of the industry. If you don't, don't have faith in the integrity of the industry, why would you bet on it? Yeah. And that's and that and a small state like Tassie, even a small change in sentiment will have a disastrous effect on the bottom line. And as as you said before, Taz Racing are doing what they're best with this, but they're there to build the strategy for the future prosperity of the sport, not to necessarily take not under this system to take care of the integrity. Um, and because of the lack of action in the integrity space, this is why they've had to act. And now that it's been overturned, so it's it's a it's a difficult situation as we said. And good on AJ for taking the job, but why would you want to take that job when you've got no power of the most important factor? of what you need power of, and that's integrity. As you pointed it, out, if you've got no integrity, you've got nothing. It speaks to the broader challenges of running the tri-code model, Gareth, and, and it's something that Queensland have run into trouble with as well. It's very difficult to run because of the, the needs of those, the three different racing industries are very different. It's very difficult to run a three-state model. We know why it happens in Tassie because of the size of the size of the industry, but it yeah. does speak to that those broader challenges. How is a body supposed to build, or uh, you know, a power race supposed to build a future prosperity in one sport if they're busy putting out fires in another. It makes yeah. it very difficult. Yeah, well, but that's that's where racing and the government, like as we said, you're only as strong as your government, but that's when you need to like delegate and go, well, this is what we're good at and this is what we're going to, like they're professional at doing, running the racing game, so let them run the racing game in all departments because what we've well, got three now, racing ministers here yeah. in the space of the last four years. <laughs> Like and, and we might make another one no. depending on what, what what goes on at the in the new it's it, it's yeah it's, it's a black pipe of Tassie racing and it's something that needs to be resolved ASAP. Good on you, Brent. We'll let you go enjoy. What's your what's your tip in the Launceston Cup? No, we were simply as I said, happy yes. to be, happy to be all over that and uh, a nice little tip for Durasso in the first race there at Launceston. Big push for that horse even oh, though it's okay. the car park. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of confidence that that uh, that might be a horse of, of some ability going forward. That's all we need, Durasso, in the first race. We love a tip on the grounds there at the pub there last night at Launceston. Anything else? Have you found any other mail for us? No, no, that's about it. At the moment I've done before, but I'm, I'm happy to catch myself on that. I just thought I'd give the, uh, the listeners a little a little scare to, to what, work off in the start of the day. What can we look forward to at the straight.com.au? You've been dominating proceedings. Oh, well, what's kiss it's all board stuff at the moment. Yeah. We've got Racing Victoria's board meeting happening at the moment. Um, everyone's I've got contrasting text messages coming through saying it's all change and it's not all change and everything's great and everything's upended and whatever else. So we'll see what happens out of that. That'll come out this morning. So there's plenty on that. There's a few other stories as well. We did a story yesterday about the interesting little story, I think, about the history of wagering across the last 30 years in Australia and where thoroughbred wagering sits within that, I guess, the diminishing role that thoroughbred wagering plays. So there's plenty of stories to read. There's plenty of stuff to go back over. We've written a lot of stories which... Yeah, you know, probably a bit more timeless. And yeah, we encourage people to have a look through and yeah. hopefully learn something from what we're doing and yeah, and, and, and enjoy what we're, what we're, we're covering. Good stuff, mate. Keep on, keep on dominating. Love your Thank work. Thank you, Gareth.